Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Elizabeth Pampalone about effectively building teams and managing projects. Elizabeth Pampalone, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have the chance to chat. Uh, You have a really interesting background. I know you're doing some really um, cool and creative things. Um, And so today we're going to be talking about effectively building teams and managing projects um, generally, but also specifically as it relates to your own uh, company and some of the entrepreneurial efforts that you've been a part of um, in your recent past. As we get started today, I just want to share Elizabeth's uh, brief bio with the listeners. Elizabeth Pampalone is an international speaker, successful entrepreneur, and expert marketer with 20 years of experience, over 20 years of experience, actually. Her innovative approach helps overwhelmed business owners and burnt out nonprofit directors to achieve success and freedom through the power of what she calls absolute marketing. And I imagine... um, Elizabeth will be sharing more with us about what she means by that. Um, But welcome, Elizabeth. It's really, truly an honor to have the chance to chat. And uh, anything else you would like to share by way of background before we really dive on into the discussion today? No, I think that pretty much sums it up, which is, you know, pretty good. Um, It's it's definitely been uh, an interesting journey. I've been everything from a solopreneur to an employer to going back and forth sometimes, having small teams, large teams. So so yeah, I got a lot of a lot of different things that have gone on in my career. Excellent, excellent. Well, tell us, let's start um, with what you're currently doing. Tell us a little bit about your company and and what you mean by absolute marketing. Well, absolute marketing is something that I developed for myself about, gosh, I'm gonna say probably about 10 years ago. And I just did it on my own, just a little method that I created for myself to keep everything streamlined with my marketing. And about four years ago, I realized that um, I kind of had a system and it was kind of pretty good. So I changed everything that I was doing in the marketing world. I went away from all the traditional timelines and project, you know, setups. And I just said, you know what, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing absolute marketing. I'm sharing it with everyone that I meet. And if anybody thinks that it could help them, then let's work together. And it's been going really well for the past four years. And this year we're finally launching our online course. And we're also, I'm also going to be writing a book um, about my memoirs and about how all this stuff came to be um, in the next year. Excellent. Well, I, we can all look for that. And and uh, I think understanding, you know, that there, there's all these different approaches out there uh, for people to be successful in, in different uh, niche areas, you know. And so absolute marketing is your, your, your approach. 
Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about any of the specifics around that if you're willing to share it. Um, but then yeah. the, the, the larger picture, you know, we'll then move into talking about, okay, well, what do you do currently um, in building your teams and managing your projects as you're doing, you know, you're, you're a, a marketer first, um, but, but you, just like everyone else who leads people, who, who has teams of people, you have to do, um, you have to think about leadership. You have to put that hat on and you have to think about how to effectively uh, maximize the potential of the people on your teams and with the projects they're working on. Uh, so let's start with absolute marketing. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more specifically about that. So absolute marketing is a five day system. It is basically supposed to cover all of your marketing needs in five days. And we create an entire year's worth of marketing in those five days. So the first day we create a brand, which is everything from the messaging, vi mission, vision, naming it. Uh, sometimes people have the wrong names for their companies. We'll rename or name their company, um, getting their right domain names, and then creating logos, colors, fonts, and writing an ebook. That's day one. Day two is website design and build. We'll go from you know nothing, no website, to a fully functional website um, in one day. Day three is 12 months of social media posts. Day four is 12 months of blog posts. And day five is 12 months of email um, sends or you know 12 months of email marketing options. Or we also create funnels in those days as well. So it's really covering all the five main bases, the five pillars of marketing and doing them each one day at a time until all of them are completed. And this really does cover about one year's worth of what we call like marketing tasks, where things you would be doing on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis. We're going to get all of that done in five days ahead of time and, um, and then just give you that freedom to be creative for the other things you need to be creative for in your business. Well, that sounds really cool. And I like the way that you take a really proactive approach. Um, now, obviously, you know, during the course of the year, you likely would have to pivot and do other things as well, but, but being proactive, putting things in place in advance and, um, and just getting some of those things kind of off your daily checklist, you know, can ease up time, free up time for you to focus on, on broader strategy issues um, to, to look at the external environment, find ways to pivot, but also think about the, the people management issues, the leadership issues that are important uh, to help your organization to be successful. And you mentioned, um, or it was mentioned in your bio, how you do a lot of work with nonprofits, and they're notoriously understaffed, overworked, underpaid, you know, and so anything to kind of not just simplify, because that's not the right term probably, but to streamline, um, to streamline and to just have things in place so it's plug and play as much as possible. Um, that's going to really be helpful for people who are um, kind of short-staffed, uh, just kind of bootstrapping their business. Yeah, it is. And, and definitely with the nonprofits, this is very helpful. Um, and you mentioned pivoting, you know, people would say, well, what if coronavirus type things happen? And, you know, how would that work with my business? And I'd have to start all over. And honestly, a lot of our clients didn't, they didn't have to start over because what we did was we build in enough evergreen content that it doesn't matter what's happening around you in most cases, um, that you can still continue with those same posts and then you can add additional ones because the more more this better, you know, with, with social media, with email marketing, if you have something else to say, if you have something additional to add, you can always add that in, which is great. 
Um, and this really does, like you said, free up that, that human capital, essentially, that you can, you know, now focus on the actual people in the organization, those, like you said, those big strategy options and things you have to think about and decisions you have to make. So we're trying to get some of this off the owner's plate or that director's plate, because we've seen with nonprofits, especially that the directors really have the biggest and hardest job there. Sometimes they are the marketing department, you know, in addition to being the director of the entire organization. So um, we try to make sure that we're giving them options to get as much of that done early as possible. And then, you know, we actually, with our nonprofits, we meet with them quarterly. With our small businesses, we kind of do like a, we're going to teach you, you can kind of take this and run with it. You know, we might be here to help if you need us, but with the nonprofits, we see that there's more of a need to have an ongoing relationship. So we have those quarterly calls and we're switching strategies and changing things up and adding new things every quarter so that they're not overwhelmed and they can give us, you know, the information they need to get out there and we help them get it out to the, the, the world basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, that's really cool. Um, and I applaud you, you know, for the, for the good work and for the, for addressing that really critical need. I mean, for any business that's bootstrapping, but particularly for nonprofits who do so much good in our communities and it's, it's so necessary and, uh, they need, you know, the, all the help they can get so they can focus on, you know, what they do best. And that is serving their communities. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's pivot a little bit now and talk more about, um, the, the, the people side of all of this and, and your experience. So we're thinking about having effective teams and then effectively leading projects and, and, and project management. What are some of your um, experiences and perhaps some key principles that you've pulled out of those experiences um, that you could share with the listeners in regards to, to managing effective teams, particularly in this kind of marketing space that you work in? Yeah, usually the people in this marketing type space are solopreneurs. You know, they they build the websites, they do the graphics, you know, whatever whatever it is they're trying to accomplish, they do the social media. They pretty much do all the things and wear all the hats. And then they get big enough, which was my experience. I got big enough to maybe, let's say, have a VA or maybe I needed to have a, um, you know, an employee or some kind of, you know, person to come in and help me a couple times a week, whatever. Um, and what I found was when I first hired my first employee, I was looking for somebody who was almost like my friend. I wasn't trying to hire a friend, but my initial outlook on the situation was I need to be able to get along with this person. I need to be able to work with this person effectively. I need to be able to have a camaraderie and a rapport with this person. And what I found was that was extremely detrimental because I was looking for too much of that and not enough of the other items of the other things on that checklist, you know, the skills aspect, which the person that I hired did have skills, but there were other skills that I kind of thought, oh, those aren't really necessary. These are the things that are more important. And so I've seen as I've hired over the years and different people for pretty much similar positions, my hiring has changed because I've, I've basically matured and had these little mini downfalls, <laughs> these little mini uh, issues as I've gone along that is, has helped me realize things. And so, you know, for me, it's been trial and error because I didn't go to a fancy school. I didn't get any education on how to hire. It was just, you need somebody, you got to find someone, figure it out, you know? Um, and so over the years, I've kind of learned what to look for and what not to look for. But I think the first, you know, thing that I really learned the hard lesson on was hiring someone who was, I didn't even know them before I started hiring. It was just, we became friends and it was too familiar. It was too close. 
And they took advantage of that. And that was unfortunate for us because I did lose money in the process. I lost business in the process. And it, it also hurt me on a personal level because then I thought, well, we're friends. Why is she doing this? You know? <laughs> so I think that as small, smallpreneurs or solopreneurs, when they first venture out into that first one, they may or may not be looking for exactly the right things. And so having this very set, this is the job description. These are the most important things rather than can I work well with this person? I think personality has a little bit to do with it, but I also think that, um, you know, the skill set, the, um, the ability to be autonomous, because a lot of times in this day and age, we're not getting together in offices. We are working remotely. Um, the ability to reply to emails on time and, and timely manner, ability, you know, things like that to be proactive, to take initiative when things start to fall apart or communication starts to break down. So I think some of those things are becoming more important now. And, you know, like I said, my, my experience of hiring the first person that I hired was maybe, you know, I guess about seven, eight years ago. And now we're in such a different world. And I've hired people since COVID and it's been a much different skill set that I'm looking for at this point because of the autonomy that is needed. The, like I said, the problem solving, the initiative taking, um, the ability to check their email every day. There's some people that you, you know, I've hired before and they're like, oh, I don't check my email every day. And I was like, no, that's kind of a requirement. <laughs> so, you know, those kind of things um, I've seen change just in general of the hiring process. But then also, like I said, I've, I've seen myself learn from some of those mistakes I've made in the past. I love that those examples and and what you said, you know, in terms of just learning as you go, I think that's how it is for most people who are in leadership and people management roles. You know, some do go through, you know, like an MBA or something like that, um, and, and and then might focus on those things. But the vast majority of people who lead and manage others don't formally go through that. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't be effective. It, it does mean that there's probably going to be some trial and error and that there's going to be a little bit of learning through the school of hard knocks, you know, and uh, that's okay though, because the, you have a growth mindset. You recognize that you will, you know, this, this is a temporary setback. You will get past this and next time you'll do better. Uh, and, and the trap, the people management trap that you fell into early is a super, super common one. And that is people tend to overemphasize this idea of hiring. We often call it hiring for fit uh, in the organization. And now I'm all, I'm all for, you know, being aware of people's values and hiring, you know, having values congruence and hiring people who are going to generally fit well with the organization, with the team, with the leader. I mean, I think that is important, but people rely way too much on that a lot of times. And sometimes it gets even to the extreme of where you're trying to basically hire someone who's just like you, who's your friend, who could be your friend, who, you know, you're so worried about being able to be compatible that you forget about the, the expertise that's needed and frankly, the diversity that's needed. So if you're hiring people that are just like you, you're not going to be hiring people who are going to push back on your thinking because they're thinking the same way as you. Um, so hiring for fit doesn't mean hiring your friend. It doesn't mean hiring people who are like you. It doesn't mean um, hiring people that look like everyone else in the organization. Quite the opposite, actually. Um, 
that that's not what diversity and inclusion is about. But hiring for fit is all about people who buy into the mission, the purpose, who have shared values, um, and some of those types of issues uh, around the team, right? And so, so you yeah. fell into that trap. That's a super common trap, uh, but you learned from it and you grew from it, and now you've moved on and you've been able to, um, you know, have a, a framing when you're going through the hiring process of let's get the right people uh, on the bus, let's get them in the right seats um, based on their their knowledge, skills, and abilities. And we'll develop relationships. You know, once they come, we'll develop relationships over time built on mutual respect uh, and um, and trust that we develop with them. Yeah, and, and you mentioned diversity and inclusion. It's it's kind of funny because the first person I ever hired was actually an African American woman in tech, and like women in tech in general is just unheard of. <laughs> women who actually know what they're doing in tech. And then, you know, this African-American woman, she was very brilliant at what she did. Like I said, she had the skill sets, but there were other skill sets that were not her strong suits. And I just kind of was like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Like, but we also got along because we had some similar values. We had some similar, you know, experiences. We were same age. Like we had all these things in common that that was really what led to that relationship being too close, you know, and so um, I've definitely seen that change in, you know, me as I've looked for people, like you said, that relationship will happen. You don't have to force it ahead of time or say, oh, well, because I have a relationship now, I need to make, you know, make this person part of the team. And, and something else about, you know, about the teams and about diversity and inclusion, like, you know, I've never tried to hire just men or just women or, you know, this or that, but it's kind of interesting that the people that come across my path, I have been mostly women. I think I've hired one man, actually I've hired two men in my, my career and I've hired uh, more women. So it's been really interesting that, um, that I find these really great tech women to be a part of these different teams that I've had over the years. And um, it, it's just been, it's just been interesting to me that like you can kind of, the more the circles that you're in, you will, you will find the right people, you know, and they'll not have to be with you for, years, you know, they might be with you for a season. And that's the other thing, you know, not being so reliant on just that one person, that one person is doing 80% of your work, then there's an issue, you've got to either have more employees, or you got to delegate differently. Um, and that's kind of what I see with these nonprofits is that they get the director and they're doing about 80 to 70 to 80% of the work. And then they might have one or two other people that are in a finance role or in a maybe a marketing role or maybe a, um, an operations role. And then their director is still doing everything else. And if something happens to the director or they have to take a leave of absence or they go on maternity leave or whatever that is, then everything falls apart. I had one uh, director that I just worked with. I'd been working with her for four years and she ended up just suddenly retiring it during COVID. And the organization was scrambling for about three months. And you know, so what I've, I've been able to do is actually go into organizations like that and say, okay, who is actually here? Let me assess your skill set and let me show you what tasks you can take on. Um, and, and it, you know, it's not, it's never where it's like too much, you know, I'm not trying to give someone too much for their job description or whatever, but there's always something that the director says, oh, well, I'll just do it. It's faster. I'll just do it. It's easier. And I think as business owners, we do the same thing. I'll just do it. It's, it's much quicker if I just do it because I know what I'm doing. And we take on these roles that we really should be delegating. And that's really hard. Um, I, I was, when I first hired um, 
my, my second round, my second team, a few years after the first team, it was for the marketing company. And I had all these tickets that would come in from clients that were on maintenance, you know, systems. And they would say, well, I need this and I need that. And I would delegate to my team and it would come back and it would not be right. Or it would be, you know, have missing pieces. They wouldn't read it all the way and things like that. And so I spent time educating and saying, nope, do this again, or got to fix these pieces. And they're like, oh, I didn't see that. Or, you know, whatever. And I spent time like going back and forth with them and the clients. I said, you know what? It's going to be a delay. Like there's going to be a three day gap, a four day gap, whatever. I gave myself time in the delegation process and I helped work with that team member who was missing, having errors, missing things until it was clear enough where they might have, instead of one error a day, they might have one error a week or one error every two weeks. And so I put a lot of time into that and it made me frustrated because I knew that I could just go in there and took me five minutes and I'd be done. <laughs> but that wasn't the, the point of the exercise. The point of the exercise was to build up the team, help them realize that they had, you know, help myself realize that they had to learn too. I learned it at some point of all these things and they had to learn it as well. And so putting my time and effort into that has now allowed me to have the freedom to do, like you said, those big picture things, because I have a team that I can say, hey, here's the 10 tickets for today. Have fun. <laughs> I'll see you guys tomorrow with it. And then the next day, everything is done. And there might be an error or two, and I check over everything. You know, I like to make sure that I'm at least overseeing everything, but I'm not sitting there physically going, okay, well, now I got to fix this, and now I got to fix that. And, and then I'm not paying them and then feeling like, well, now that was a waste because they didn't do it right. I took the time and early on, especially when I first bring someone on and I'm like, let's work this out. I'm going to help you figure this out. I'm not going to tell you the answers, but I'm going to help you figure it out on your own so that you will see this again next time. You'll see a similar thing next time and you'll go, I remember we did this. I remember how we fixed that. I remember she said to look for this thing when this person sends us stuff. So it helps them learn their job better. It helps me feel more confident about their ability in their job. And also after a few weeks of training, because a lot of times we don't train like, you know, what traditional jobs used to have training. A lot of jobs now don't have training. And if you take the time to put in and invest in your people, that will come back to you a 100 fold for sure. You know, so much there uh, that you said that I just love. And, and you're absolutely right that it's about empowerment of your team and I, I faced the same thing so many times. Like it would be so much easier in the short term, at least. It would be so much easier for me to just jump in and do that thing. Uh, and that's where a lot of micromanaging comes in. It's, it's probably well-intentioned leaders who just think, oh, well, I'll just do that because it's quick, it's easy, I can just do it. Uh, or because they don't know how, um, you know, I'm just going to help them or whatever. And so they frame it in terms of, of helping but it's not helping. It's not helping your people because they're not developing the skills they need to be successful in their careers. It's not helping you in the long term. It might be easier in the short term. In the long term though, you even if you can do it quickly, it's still taking up mental bandwidth <laughs> for you to be able to keep track of all of these things. So you have to develop trust with your team. You have to develop trust in the processes um, so that you can delegate and actually let go of things free up your mental bandwidth to focus on the people issues, the strategic issues, the product issues, you know, all the stuff that you need to be focusing on as the, the leader of the organization or of the team, um, and then let other people do their stuff. That's what we need to do. And that will 
free that will make things easier in the long term even if in the short term it means we have to spend a little bit more time coaching a little bit more time training a little bit more time you know just really getting people up to speed and communicating expectations and making sure everyone's on the same page and and that really goes to you know this the second piece of of leadership that i really subscribe to which is getting them to buy into what you're doing you know that is a a huge piece that's missed when you know you said you go and say work at you know random place a like you know you you could never you know when you're the owner you have this ability to impart your passion to the team to your team and a lot of owners don't do that a lot of directors don't do that um they might hire someone straight out of college the person wants to they know they want to work for a nonprofit. they're the first one that hires them great they have a job, you know, they're working, everything's fine. They'll do what they can. End of story. But what is not imparted and this, like you said, it's not about fit. It's not about finding the person that's already jazzed about your business or your idea. It's about getting the person that you do bring on who has a skill set, who has the you know ability, whatever that is you're looking for and getting them to over time, basically build that relationship and have them go, I am really invested in this. I am excited for this. When, and when you have a win in the organization, whether it's business or a nonprofit, they are like, yes. And they they feel that too, because they were a part of that. And, you know, getting people to, to do things, sometimes they don't want to do. Sometimes they are like, it's not their favorite. They're not thrilled about it, but it's because they now believe in the mission. It makes those types of tasks and those types of delegations so much easier. And they go, you know what? It's not my favorite thing to do to go to a golf course on a Saturday morning at 4 a.m. and set up the tent and get, you know, <laughs> for whatever it is they're setting up and sit out in the sun for, for eight hours. But it's because I believe in what we're doing. That makes sense to me. That means that we'll have more business. It means we'll make more money. It means the business will grow. It means my efforts are, are worth something. So it's definitely, um, you know, a good thing that as you build the relationship to, impart that excitement and that passion that most business owners and most directors have for the organization they're working with. And there's ways of doing that that are not so, uh, that are a little more subtle than others. <laughs> you don't have to just be like, okay, guys, I love this business. Do you love this business? Let me hear you. You know, like it's not that kind of call and response, but it's a, an additional, uh, you know, part on the, on the business owner and the, and the director's part to say, to come in in the morning and not be like, oh my gosh, everything is horrible. Why is all of this a mess? The, the leader has to say, we're going to have a great day. This is going to be a good day. Things are going to happen. We're going to have mistakes. We're going to have issues, but it's still going to be a great day. We work here. We get to do this. And I think that standups are, are something of the past that, that I really think should be brought back. Um, and I think more and more people are doing this with Zoom. And the stand-up, and I know a lot of people know what this is, but um, the stand-up is where you get into a huddle in the morning, first thing, and you really kind of just pep talk everybody. You find out what's going on for the day. You figure out what the schedule is going to be. You make sure everybody's got what they need. But it's this, this quick, everyone's together, everyone's united, everyone has a common goal for today, and you as the leader show, things are going to happen, but we're going to get through it, and we're going to make it great. We're going to make it an awesome day. And working here is not drudgery. 
being here all day today is not going to make you feel like you just want to go home and crawl up in a ball and watch Netflix all night. You know, like you want to be a part of this team because we're accomplishing things, we're celebrating wins, and we're fixing problems as they arise. We're not letting things, you know, fester and, and team members, you know, fight and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so I think as the leader, you know, I've worked with um, a couple of project managers over the last couple months in coaching and, and they, they are away, they've gotten away from the stand-up idea. And I'm like, you got to get back to it. it. It's what's going to make a huge difference in morale and also in just people buying into the mission long-term. Well, I love, I love that. Um, this has really been just a fun discussion. I love learning more about what you're doing the types of project management approaches and the people approaches that you've used as you developed your own um, leadership style and entrepreneurial approach within your organization. Um, we're about out of time for today, but before we part ways, I, I do want to uh, give you a chance to share with the listeners how they can get in touch with you, um, connect, uh, and perhaps reach out to find out more. Yes, thank you so much. And I really uh, had a so much fun talking with you about this. It's not a topic I get to expound on a lot. So I'm, I'm very happy that I, I got to talk with you about it today. And um, you can go to my website, getabsolutemarketing.com and you can find all of our options there, our self-paced course, our coaching, our one-on-one -on -one sessions. Um, and if you're a nonprofit, we have a nonprofit sector called beyondthecause.co. So if that's something you're interested in, you can get to that from our website as well. And I do want to say this to everybody who's dealing with maybe a little bit of a tight situation or maybe dealing with some, some internal issues that they just can't figure out and they're trying really hard. And they maybe seem like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Because uh, right now, I know that's happening for a lot of people um, in this space. And so I just want to say that everything is temporary. This is temporary. The next phase will be temporary. And we'll move to another phase. So just keep going. And you will get through whatever it is you're dealing with, especially with human capital. It's, it's one of the hardest jobs and one of the most rewarding jobs you can have when you're dealing with people. And uh, just remember that it's temporary. And it'll pass. Uh, and you'll get to a good time, I promise. Well, thank you so much. It really has been a pleasure. I really do hope that um, listeners will reach out to Elizabeth, find out more. Um, thank you for all of the insights you shared today. And I hope everyone stays healthy and safe and that they have a wonderful week. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.